Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. You're listening to Quick to Listen. Each week we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, and I am an associate digital media producer here at Christianity Today, and I'm joined, as always, not really though, by Editor-in-Chief Mark Alley. Good to be with you, even though I'm not here always. Agreed, I I'm know. not always with you. <laughs> now you're turning <laughs> into Jesus, church lingo. Only Jesus is always with you. Right on. Okay, who's joining us? Uh, John Stackhouse is joining us. He's the professor of religious studies at Crandall University in New Brunswick. He's the author of 10 books, the most recent being Why You're Here, Ethics for the Real World. And most importantly, he is a frequent contributor to Christianity Today and someone whose, whose emails I read carefully because he always has such thoughtful things to say. So welcome, John. Great to be with you guys. John, I know you appreciated those rare kind words from Mark. Oh, I'm Mark sure. is, a, is a flowing fountain of effusion. You know that, Mark. Yeah. Well, I save my kind words for people that are super thoughtful like John Stackhouse. Oh, okay. okay. You're the special one, John. <laughs> Thank you. John, I just wanted to bring up one thing before we start. Okay, so obviously you know that Americans are obsessed with your government, specifically your prime minister, and many Americans are also obsessed with British royalty. Are Canadians also obsessed with their prime minister and with British royalty, or is this an American thing? Yeah, it's an American thing. Uh, we have to deal with our prime minister, of course, uh, for real, not just when he makes lovely appearances, but when he actually makes policy. So while some people are still crashing on uh, Justin. Uh, most of us aren't now. The honeymoon's over. And as for the royal family, uh, yeah, Canadians range from Republicans to royalists, but uh, mostly they're just interesting. And I always keep track of them just by uh, checking out my groceries in the supermarket and seeing what the tabloids say. I have never understood Americans' fascination with royals, but I'm also interested in a lot of celebrities that nobody ever cares about ever. So who am I to judge? Okay, well, we are not going to talk about the royal family today, maybe some other time. We're actually going to talk about Ravi Zacharias today, so let's get into it. Popular Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias publicly addressed sexting allegations for the first time this week. Specifically, Zacharias denied allegations that he had, had ever solicited or sent any illicit photos or messages to another woman. That's what he said in a statement. There's more information about these allegations in Christianity Today's story this week, which we will link to in show notes, and we may even address them in a future show. Our topic today, however, concerns the ministry statement, which was also released this week, which addressed allegations that Zacharias had misled supporters by inflating his credentials in his ministry biography. I'm going to read from what we reported. According to the biography currently posted on RZIM's website, Zacharias received a Ministry of Divinity degree from Trinity International University and has, quote, conferred 10 honorary doctorates, including a Doctor of Laws and a Doctor of Sacred Theology, end quote. Up until earlier this year, this ministry bio had not used the phrase, quote unquote, honorary doctorates. Instead, it had stated that Zacharias had been honored with the conferring of six doctoral degrees. The site had also previously referred to him as Dr. Zacharias through 2014, as did multiple press releases, news features, and event postings. Quote, 
In earlier years, Doctor did appear before Ravi's name in some of our materials, including our websites, which is an appropriate and acceptable practice with honorary doctorates, end quote, stated RZIM in its own statement, also issued on Sunday. Quote, however, because this practice can be contentious in certain circles, we no longer use it, end quote. This week on Quick to Listen, we are going to discuss the temptation for Christian leaders to inflate their credentials and achievements and what responsibility the church has in encouraging that sort of behavior and how we might better hold each other accountable. All right, before we get into this discussion, again, as always, I just remind people that the podcast is made possible by everyone who subscribes to Christianity Today magazine. And we have some Christmas pieces in the most recent issue. One of them is about Handel's Messiah. Is that a work that you're familiar with, Handel's Messiah, Mark? I am familiar with that work, something I try to listen to at least once a year during this time of year. Yeah. As well as other times of year. What do you what Easter. do you find moving about it? Obviously the most moving part is the Hallelujah Chorus, which is kind of an amazing piece of music. But when a great composer puts music to some gospel theme, it's quite uh it's not only emotionally moving or uh, but it's also very it's theologically moving if you start reading what they're actually saying and tying it in with the text. And I think this review helps us appreciate the, the the Messiah that much more because of that. Yeah, obviously Christianity Today doesn't do music, but we sometimes publish resources that help people better appreciate music. When I say review, I mean we reviewed a book called Messiah, colon, The Composition and Afterlife of Handel's Masterpiece. It just reminds people that this book or this work was not necessarily loved at all at its time, even though we just see it as a Christian and Christmas staple today. Anyway, if you would like to know more about the Messiah and about this book that looks at it, again, you can do that by becoming a subscriber of Christianity Today, and you can do that by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen, orderct.com slash quick to listen. All right. So, Mark, for our gut check today, you know, obviously there's a lot of news about Zacharias that came out this week, but I just want to hear your specific thoughts about this idea of inflating credentials and achievements. Yeah, my my initial reaction was, of course, because I am older and because I've been reading evangelical news for a few decades, it didn't come as a complete shock. Uh, Christian ministers, Christian evangelists especially, have a long history of exaggerating either their credentials or their the effects of their ministry. So it makes me a little sad when this sort of thing happens. When it comes to honorary doctorates, it's a little more nuanced, a little more confusing, but it doesn't surprise me that this happens time and again and that people have to be reminded that it can miscommunicate things. I definitely think that my gut check is why like what what is why are why do you do that like I, I just doesn't make any sense to me why would you not state it truthfully i mean we're not gonna love you or think that you're less cool just be on i don't know there seems to be only downside like people then question a lot more things about you even if that's the only area that you have ever exaggerated or misrepresented or been deceitful about yourself people are still gonna find other things that you say less truthful i mean i guess that's assuming that you get discovered right but still i guess it, it's just kind of confounding to me. John, part of the reason we had you on the show is because you decided to discuss this on social media. What made you decide that you really wanted to comment and remark on this? Well, I have written uh, a fair bit about apologetics. I have engaged in apologetics on university campuses and in other venues. I think it is a form of Christian engagement that is often practiced badly. I think it's it's not only just people who don't really know what they're talking about setting themselves up as experts, but also people engaging in apologetics in ways that I think aren't particularly honoring to Christ or the gospel. So I have a longstanding interest, Morgan, in um, 
in apologetics being done well, and Ravi Zacharias is the biggest name in apologetics currently, and uh, therefore he uh, is a conspicuous person uh, who then, um, as he goes, so goes apologetics in some ways. So it's really important that he be scrupulous about everything he does, and that's why uh, this surfaced, and I thought it was worth talking about. Is this something that you've seen Christians do before, besides Ravi? Oh, yeah. As Mark says, there's a a long and not very um, edifying tradition. of Christian evangelists and speakers uh, inflating their credentials. And the honorary doctorate uh, in particular, Morgan, is a is a kind of bit of a, a, a mare's nest. In fairness, the universities in North America have, in a sense, sold their integrity for donations and for celebrity. And so a lot of people who show up to speak at convocation are brought there because it'll be newsworthy or it'll impress the alums and the donors. And then they're almost routinely giving an, given an honorary doctorate. Uh, so lots of people are given doctorates that have nothing to do with what doctor means. I mean, the word doctor uh, has nothing to do with medicine. It, it's the term for teacher. And the idea of a doctorate is that you have so mastered a particular discipline or a form of study that you're now eligible to teach others about it. And so honorary doctorates could be given, for instance, to people who are artists whose work is so extensive that we would say they are now, uh, in a sense, master teachers, and we could call them doctors of that, or or a lawyer who doesn't have an earned doctorate but has worked for years in jurisprudence, has written articles, has defended clients, and has helped to make law. We might say this is somebody who's now truly a doctor of laws. And so, yes, the, the honorary doctorate can mean different things in different contexts. My own mother earned an honorary doctorate for graduating from the Texas University that she did her MA at. She taught there. She was on their board. And then she ended up writing their centennial history. And they awarded her uh, a doctorate in humanities for that. But my dad was an MD and I'm a PhD. And while we enjoy calling mom doctor in honor of her accomplishments and service to the university, she never used it of herself because she knew that In academic circles in particular, doctor really does mean expert. And so this is the rub, Morgan, with Ravi Zacharias. And this is why I think his organization is being less than completely helpful here. When they say that, well, in some circles, it's ambiguous. These are exactly the circles that Ravi Zacharias makes his living in, academic circles. And those are exactly the circles where you would not call yourself doctor unless you had an earned degree. Do you think it would be appropriate for someone who has, in fact, become an expert and is given an honorary doctorate to call themselves doctors. So, for example, I'm not sure that Karl Barth, theologian, ever actually formally got a PhD. I suspect he got some honorary doctorates along the way, Uh, although I don't recall, I don't know if people called him Dr. Barth. But anyway, that would be an example. Do you think that's appropriate? Well, actually, what happens in academic circles in Europe, Mark, is that, um, frankly, doctor is not that big a deal. When you're in the academy, uh, getting your doctorate, Uh, especially in uh, Germany, as well as in America, kind of gets your career started. Uh, The really impressive title is professor. I see. Given only to people who have attained that rank in the academy. So, uh, you know, F.F. Bruce didn't have a doctorate, the great biblical scholar. C.S. Lewis didn't have a doctorate. Uh, My friend and former colleague Paul Helm, uh, the very fine British philosopher, doesn't have a doctorate. The Brits have only really invented the doctorate in the last while, frankly, uh, to... uh, to cultivate the American trade. It's the Germans and the Americans who are really fixated on on doctorates. And uh, unfortunately, that then, of course, filters down into popular culture, and everybody who wants to come across as smart is glad to call themselves doctor. It's unfortunate. That is worth the price of this podcast all alone. That's just news to me. That's very helpful. Great. And when I was doing PhD studies at UC Davis back in the day, 
I, I approached one professor there and I called him doctor, I forget his last name, Dr. Smith, let's say, and he was he took great umbrage at that. He says, do I look like I have a stethoscope around my neck? Uh, he says, you call me professor, young man. <laughs> well, he's kind of clued out because it's the physicians that horned in on the doctorate with their status anxiety, bless their hearts. Uh, and, and they were trying so hard in the 19th century to come in from the, uh, the cold of quackery to being taken seriously as professionals. And so the medical profession has made a great display of credentialing to try to assure people that they're actually not going to hurt you. They're actually going to help you. So that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, yeah. I just want to go back to the honorary doctorates. You suggested that the way that they're used today is often a way of incentivizing people to speak on campus or to appear on campus. Or to give a big donation. In some cases, it seems to be a thank you for a big donation. Yeah. I mean, was is there ever, I, I guess I had never assumed that that was... <laughs> the exchange that went on is that how I should always see them is just assume that they're a benefactor of the institution and that's why they're getting that there's no ever like there's never like an award for someone's intellect or contributions oh no it's not completely cynical that's the problem is that it's quite confusing at the very same convocation ceremony I've been at a bunch of them at big universities here in Canada and, and in the states somebody may well be awarded an honorary doctorate for groundbreaking work in microbiology. And then the next person is being given an honorary doctorate because of tremendous work among the poor of our city. And now you realize this is kind of a, a social work certificate or award. And then the next person has been a generous donor for 20 years. And our brand new building in the business school is called the so-and-so building. And they're getting an honorary doctorate. So that's what I mean. It, it means now simply the university's highest form of recognition awarded across the map. Okay. All right. Before we get carried away with higher ed inner workings, John, what other ways have you seen Christians exaggerate their success? Yes, because I think uh, it's really much more important be once you get past the honorary doctorate quagmire to bore into how people, especially people like Mr. Zacharias, represent themselves. So Morgan, even though this is only an audio podcast, I'd like you to compliment me on the tie I'm wearing today, if you would, please. <laughs> wow. What a great tie, John. <laughs> Why, why, thank you, Morgan. Thank you for noticing. This is my St. Anne's College tie that I bought to commemorate my time as a lecturer at Oxford University. A lecturer at Oxford, Oxford University? Is that true? <laughs> well, well, I, well, I did give one lecture once at Oxford University. So that, that means I, I was a lecturer because a lecturer is one who lectures. And I did give actually it wasn't a full lecture. It was just a five minute talk at the end of a conference at St. Anne's College, which is part of the University of Oxford. And it was held under the auspices of a professor at St. Anne's College at Oxford. So if you just look at it in the right way, I'm a I was a lecturer at Oxford. Well, I should have mentioned that in the intro bio. I apologize. Yes. So you see, I'm not actually lying, but on the other hand... Prudential gymnastics, right? Yeah, it is. It, it's taking something that is so trivial that you're now the only two other people that know I did that, except the people at the conference and the people listening to the podcast. Too. Uh, and otherwise, I would, I would never list that, right? It's just, it was a five-minute talk at the end of a conference um, at, at Oxford. But if I wanted to, 
I could take that little tiny bit of truth and blow it up into something wrong. And I think once people found out about that, I think they would be properly disappointed, if not angry. And that, unfortunately, is what's happened a number of times with Mr. Zacharias, when he's described as Cambridge educated, or when he's described as having these earned these doctorates and so on. And they're right on. This is the thing I don't understand, is that they're right on the pages of his publishers, like Penguin. Like, you know, I don't check everything everybody writes about me, but I'm pretty careful about what my publishers put on their website about me. So th this whole thing smells a little bit, I'm afraid. And you've seen other Christians beyond Zacharias. I think you, you mentioned that this can also happen in other parts of the apologetics world as well. Well, you know, that's what's interesting is that I think we're actually in a new and better stage now. I think that, uh, see, Mark and I are, are rapidly dissolving into senescence. And, and we're old enough to remember uh, a kind of a different culture in evangelicalism. I think that with the rise of uh, higher education in the population at large in North America, and more people are going to higher ed than ever before, uh, and in the evangelical world in particular, uh, fewer and fewer people are having to do that kind of exaggerating. And so more and more people are, are willing to do their credentials. I see uh, Mr. Zacharias's problem really is harking back to the generation that would have been older people when Mark and I were young. And it would connect with the sort of the Dr. Billy Graham uh, phenomenon, where, as far as I know, Graham himself was, was pretty scrupulous about not calling himself that, but he certainly let other people call him that, because in that world of status anxiety, um, having a doctorate would have meant we should listen to you with a little more reverence than we would have otherwise. I think there's also a difference between someone like Graham. I mean, I think you're right. I don't know that uh, Billy Graham ever uh, used that himself, although close associates of him regularly call him Dr. Graham or refer to him as Dr. Graham. But in his case, he's he's known as an evangelist. Nobody ever imagines that he is uh, an an some an expert in some academic field and that he's trying to. Uh, that they're trying to suggest by calling him doctor that he is an expert in that same way. There's no confusion there. Whereas when you're in the area of apologetics, which is very much an academic and intellectual exercise, I can see where that could be misleading and confusing to people in a way that's completely different. Yes, I think that's exactly right, Mark. That's that's a crucial distinction. Because one of the things that was said of, about Mr. Zacharias on these publishers' websites, like the Penguin one, is that he was a recognized authority on cults, world religions, and philosophy. And I simply have to respectfully ask, like, recognized by whom? Uh, normally, when you're in the academy, if you say you're a recognized authority, it means that other recognized authorities recognize you as an authority. And you would earn that by referee journal publication, by university press publication, by appearing at academic conferences, and so on. And precisely none of that is in Mr. Zacharias's background. So to say that, well, some people somewhere recognize me as an authority is really playing pretty fast and loose with what we would normally take to be the meaning of those words. Can, I can see why it rightfully annoys you that this sort of thing would happen with the Zacharias in particular. This episode is brought to you by smallgroups.com. Find everything you need to build, grow, and maintain a healthy, thriving small group ministry. Smallgroups.com equips you to develop your ministry model and train your leaders, to nurture spiritual growth in group members, to troubleshoot typical group problems, and also to avoid common pitfalls. Whatever your role in developing life-changing community, we have resources for you. Visit smallgroups.com today.
So this has been going on for some time. Why, why ha- haven't you or your other colleagues made us aware of this earlier? Yes, that's a very good question. Uh, in my own case, I've known a couple of people who have been part of the RZIM organization over the years. And when I first encountered this, I kind of chalked it up to early status anxiety of, a, of an evangelist who's trying to become an apologist, because Zacharias had a, a significant evangelistic career before he decided to become an apologist. But uh, it, when it kept happening, and then there were more instances of it, I talked uh, to at least two different people in RZIM and said, you know, guys, this, this is a problem. I mean, I'm not close to the organization, but I knew these two people because of our common interest in apologetics. And, and the answer mark each time was exactly the same. It was kind of looking at the floor and like, I don't want to talk about this. So I thought, well, you guys are right in the organization. You clearly know that this is going on. Um, what's the point of me sounding off? Now, this was before social media, but frankly, I don't, I don't think it's my central part of my calling to, to, go around doing this kind of thing. What I did do when somebody else had made a pretty strong case, though, was let the people who are interested in what I have to say and think, I let them know in in, in social media because it's a a continuing problem. It's been going on for 20 years. Yeah, and he's, just to be fair, um, he's part of a larger phenomenon that is, uh, one sees uh, many examples of this in the, uh, among televangelists and the charismatic Pentecostal movement. When I've done the research in this, the, the examples of this are, uh, uh, let me back up. Yeah. When I, when I've done my research on this, uh, however superficial, the, the people that are mentioned the most by critics, and these are by fellow Pentecostals and charismatics are charismatics and Pentecostals, uh, who uh, one can imagine do have a bit of status anxiety in that regard. So, uh, he's part of a larger, it's not like he's this, uh, oddball out there doing this all by himself. There does seem to be a, almost a culture of this among people who are trying to gain an audience or trying to gain respect from an audience. Yes. And I think the difference is the, 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 the discourse. I think that that is true among, uh, evangelists and other kind of mass marketers. I'm glad to say that I don't see it very much among people who style themselves as apologists. You can you can see people, for instance, fudging a bit. And one of the things uh, that, that we're tempted to do, Mark, is to say I've lectured at Harvard, and what that really means is that the InterVarsity or Campus Crusade chapter on that campus invited me to speak. And I've 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 even tried to be leery about that. When I say that I've lectured at a university, I I, I only say that if some official unit of the university invited me to speak. I might have also spoken to the Christian group, but I think when people hear me say or have somebody say about me, you know, he lectured at Harvard or he lectured at Yale or he lectured at Stanford, I think they're thinking that some official body in the university invited me, not just a Christian club. But you know, it's not wrong to say you, you, were, you spoke at Harvard if you were spoke to the Christian group. But you can see that especially in the academic world, people are going to kind of go going to pull back once they find out what you really mean by that. I have a lot of feelings about this, partially because I've also heard this is not necessarily from the same people. Let's be clear. Just frustration with higher ed by some Christians. You know, higher ed is seen as this place that is godless or will take your faith away or destroy your faith. And so it's curious to me that you also see people then want to kind of claim the recognition and status that it confers. I'm also puzzled because why not just go back to school and get a doctorate? I mean, these places, it, it, 
it, it seems like it's, it's not that easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it really isn't. And, and the older you are and the more you're into marriage and family and mortgage, it's really, really difficult uh, to take the time necessary to earn uh, a real doctorate. Especially how it's done in the U.S. I mean, I, as I said, I did Ph.D. studies, and I enjoyed them quite a bit and was doing quite well. But the way it works in the U.S. is you have to become an increasing specialist in a very narrow field. Uh, and mine was in a field of his, history, Puritan America. And I, I ended up thinking, I don't want to become an expert in that narrow of a field. That doesn't interest me. And I would assume a person like Zacharias, it doesn't interest him either. He's more of a, he's a generalist in that regard. That's one of his, which makes him so interesting to listen to. He can, he pulls things from here and there all over the place. And I like in my writing to do the same. So for some, some people, a PhD would do the exact opposite of what they want to do. Yes, it, it does. Uh, the, the dissertation experience does exactly what you say, Mark. When I, I did an, an American PhD as well, and uh, a particularly a big one um, that involved a lot of coursework and a lot of exams. And that gave me the breadth that, for instance, an Oxford or Cambridge graduate wouldn't have because they basically just do a dissertation. So I'm, I'm grateful for the breadth as well as for the, the focus. But what the PhD does is certify you that you become, in the eyes of the academic peers, genuinely expert. You know what expertise looks like. You know how to get in there and, as it were, mix it up with the big boys and girls. And that's what, you, uh, what we don't see uh, with people who don't. And, and there's a lot, a lot of apologists who are generalists, but armed with a master's degree, off they go in the big world, and they talk about these giant subjects like the problem of evil or the problem of religious particularity or why Jesus in a world of religious options. And, and it kind of takes my breath away because a lot of them are pretty smart and, and they've done some reading, but they only know more than the freshmen and sophomores in the audience. They're not connecting with the graduate students, let alone the professors. So you can actually make a pretty good living talking about these subjects at a pretty elementary level, so long as your audience is confined to the undergraduate Christian clubs. But as soon as you actually want to try to make a dent in the actual mindset of the academy, uh, you got to bring more horsepower than that. And that usually means at least a PhD. It seems that it might be helpful if we had some sort of other honorific term in Western vocabulary to confer honor to someone so we don't have to resort to doctor. No, I agree. In fact, our own school here, this small uh, Christian university that I teach at here in Eastern Canada, Crandall University, uh, we're actually exploring honorary doctorates. And I'm trying to help the administration navigate between reserving the honorary doctorate for people who really have shown themselves through their careers to be uh, experts in something, and then some leadership award or service to alma mater award and distinguished contribution to society award, uh, like, for instance, Wheaton College does just down the road. And I think that uh, as many uh, quarrels or uh, disputes as I might have with my alma mater at Wheaton, uh, I think they do that kind of thing well. So, John, what do you think with regards to character? So when someone does this and it's revealed that information in their bio, again, may be exaggerated or maybe outright fabrication. Is it okay to kind of question their integrity overall? Well, when your whole job is to tell the truth as accurately, carefully, rigorously as possible, when what you're really asking people to do by setting forth your credentials, which literally come from the same word as creed or credo, why I should be believed, then you really take on a tremendous burden to speak very circumspectly. And if right out of the gate, your credentials are suspect, then what are people supposed to do in the audience when you make certain claims? Are they all supposed to hit their phones or tablets and start checking everything you say? Because 
the stuff they can check isn't quite true, isn't quite true. And I think as soon as we get into the it's not quite true phase, uh, I think you're done. I just don't think you can continue as an apologist if you're not going to be scrupulous about telling the truth in a way that you can predict your audience will understand. Otherwise, you're in the wrong game. That's great. I was just trying to think, too, about how the internet age really just changed the dynamic when it comes to these things. We're able to, I I would say, us civilians who aren't in journalism full-time are able to do a lot more sleuthing and background checks on folks than was previously available. Yes, absolutely. And and because you, 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 rhetorically, if I'm a speaker, right from the speaker side of things, I don't want people tuning out every second thing I say to check every other second thing I say. I I want them to believe that I'm a fair dealer and that they can trust me to be honest. Now, now not infallible. Everybody makes mistakes. Uh, I I just recently read a letter to the editor of a magazine I write for here in Canada where uh, a friend of mine uh, wrote in to say, uh, John Stackhouse's article on such and such uh, was all very nice, but he actually uh, is completely wrong about this major claim he made for Toronto in terms of its population in North American cities. And it was really embarrassing because uh, I realized that I'd had this in my head and I knew it. And it was probably true like 15 years ago. But, you know, populations have kind of changed in the Americas in 15 <laughs> years. And, and, you know, I'm getting so old, the decades just blur into each other. And, and I just had to write to him and say, you know, thanks, uh, Ian, for the for the catch, because not only was I wrong, I was wildly wrong about that. In a sense, it's amusing because it, it fortunately didn't make any difference to the burden of the article. But, you know, you better believe that somebody like me, who is a historian as well as a theologian ethicist, you know, I can't make too many blunders like that. Or people start saying, this guy just doesn't know what he's talking about. And, you know, the end. This does seem to be a perpetual problem in evangelicalism. I remember uh, the, the the notion of exaggerating. So in, and when it comes to the reputation of evangelists and revivalists, when Graham was getting started, the reputation of many revivalists was to exaggerate the number of people that were showing up at their revivals and how many were coming forward to accept Christ. And one of Graham's first rules is, was to say, no, we're just going to say exactly how many people came and exactly how many people came forward. Uh, that was just a point of honor for him. But as we can see with this current honorary doctorate thing, it's still a temptation for people who, it's just kind of ironic, people who actually want to reach the world for Christ will cut corners on these sort of things and exaggerate themselves or their effects when it actually ends up backfiring. And maybe maybe you're right, maybe more so in an age of an internet more than ever. So that's an irony or something. I don't know what it is. Well, it is it is an issue. And I think uh, one of the differences is uh, that, you know, if you get someone like the distinguished philosopher Alvin Plantinga coming to your campus to do uh, an apologetic talk, or you get even a you know a grossly lesser light like me to come to your campus and give an, an apologetic talk. I'm not making my living doing this, right? This isn't my main thing. Uh, whereas if it is your main thing, and you've got donors that you have to impress, and you've got um, uh, people that you want to invite you to keep moving forward, you're in a perpetually uh, a perpetual environment of salesmanship. And I think uh, Billy Graham understood that as well as anybody that he really was selling, and so he had to be squeaky clean in his selling. Uh, I think to his credit, he, he has been a squeaky clean, but uh, not everybody has been because the temptation to exaggerate in order to promote the very good work you believe in that also happens to pay your salary, it, it, it's pretty murky. Do you think there needs to be some sort of apologetic accreditation that can help people who are in the work of apologetics? Or do those folks just need to go back to school and get their PhD? Well, 
I, I don't see that the credential inflation problem is, I don't see it as a big deal among younger apologists. Uh, the temptation is there and you see it from time to time. Uh, I think the, the, the more systemic problem that I see, Morgan, is that a lot of uh, apologists really think that because they've taken uh, an apologetics degree or even just a, a master divinity degree, uh, that has qualified them to take on huge questions on university campuses. And I just have to politely say, it, you know, it really hasn't. I've, I've gone to hear them when I've been a professor on university campuses that weren't Christian. And it's embarrassing. A lot of them don't know as much as my first year students know about world religions, for instance. And they don't know as much about the philosophy of religion as my graduate students. So I think, again, if you want to just speak to Christians and a few of their friends and score some easy points preaching to the choir, then yeah. But if you really want to do something serious, you really want to move the needle. You really want to change the conversation. Uh, that takes a, a lot of concentrated force, and you really need to go to school for that. Well, thank you so much, John. As a reminder, anyone who has feedback for us, you can leave that at CT Podcasts on Twitter. Now is the time of the show we call Precious Moments, where we ask everyone to share something that is bringing them joy and also where they can be found on the Internet and any books and all that's the good stuff. So, John, do you want to just go first? Sure. Well, it's uh, it's coming to the end of term and exam time here in Canada, as it is in the States and, and elsewhere. And with the extra pressures come difficulties to the surface that have been you know, languishing there for maybe a couple of months. So I'm seeing students in my office, Morgan, that should have come to see me ah. um, oh, a month ago or two months ago. And they're coming now. <laughs> um, and bless you better believe I wasn't that student. Just so I'm <laughs> sure, sure you weren't. But others <laughs> are, are, are like that. And um, I just love talking to them because, uh, you know, finally they're, they're willing to get past the too cool for school thing and saying, you know, I'm in trouble. Will you help me? And this is really why I do what I do. I love being a teacher. And uh, when I get someone like this in the office and she says, help me, you know, if he says I need help. Uh, I'm there. I'll I'll work till uh, till uh, nightfall if I can help them. So that's that's a that, those are each precious moments for me. You have do you have any amazing story of a student who just was so desperate or had some hilarious excuse why they didn't come in earlier? Well, I've been embarrassed a couple of times uh, when I because I'm as you, as you might possibly be able to tell I'm a bit of a smarty pants and uh, occasionally I'll have students come in late to class and I'll uh, maybe uh, because the the attention of the of the class is already broken. And I might give them a little bit of teasing. But I do that a lot less than I used to, Morgan, because ah. those students come up after and say, I'm really sorry, Professor Stackhouse, that I was late. But you see, my mother just died. Oh, <laughs> I just recall. Oh, man, I, there's no hole that's opening up to swallow me. But I wish there were. <laughs> Uh, so those are pretty precious moments for me to just say, oh, I'm so sorry. And what can I do? And and pray for them at least. And, and sometimes it will help them a bit. But uh, yeah, not to jump to conclusions is, is a good thing. Are you on Twitter where everyone jumps to conclusions? I am. I'm at uh, JGS PhD because I'm so concerned that everybody know I have a doctorate. I put it right in my handle. There you go. Awesome. And remind us the name of your book again. It's called Why You're Here, Ethics for the Real World, and just out uh, this month. All right, Mark. Uh, I think my precious moment was uh, 
getting the Christmas tree up and lit this last weekend. That signals to me the beginning of Christmas season, and I just love to sit in my living room early in the morning when it's dark and just have that Christmas tree on and do my morning prayer and Bible reading right there. It's just a nice little personal thing I do and I love. Christmas trees are awesome. I completely agree. Where do you get yours? Uh, We get ours from Costco, believe it or not. Costco is amazing, and you don't get to see the tree ahead of time. It's wrapped tight, so you just... Pick one off the truck. I bet you'd like that, and though. Then no decision. you just don't know what you're getting until you get home and open it up. <laughs> so now the two years we've done that, they've been splendid. So we have no complaints about Costco at this point. How can people subscribe to your newsletter? The newsletter is called The Galley Report, G-A-L-L-I Report. And it can be found at ChristianityToday.com slash The Galley Report. And every week I link to articles and comment on those articles. I also have a Christmas-themed Precious Moments. I went to go see Joffrey Ballet's The Nutcracker on Sunday. And essentially what they did is they decided to make it a Chicago-centered piece of dance this year. So, or not this year, last year it was when they premiered it. Um, So what they did is that they set it five months before the World's Exposition Fair of 1893 and kind of made it that the main character, Marie, as she's called in this one, fall when she falls asleep and she has her dream, she goes to go visit the pavilions ahead of time. And the Air Drosselmeyer character, who's always this mysterious character, also has this like actual factual role in as someone who makes this fair happen. And they also made her family not wealthy too. They made them like a working class immigrant family that she's a part of. So they've made some like very different changes, but I think really cool, interesting ones to tell the story in of you know, truly Chicago context. All right. I recommend it. That's a real Chicago thing to do. Yeah, it's fun. All right. Well, um, I am on Twitter at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. That is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. You can subscribe to Christianity Today by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen. You can leave us reviews, which we always appreciate, on Apple Podcasts, which is also where this podcast is available, as it is on many other podcast platforms as well. This podcast is produced by myself, Richard Clark, and Cray Allred. And thank you all again for listening. See you later. Bye.